an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. In this episode, it's my pleasure to interview Martina. Martina has always been passionate about nutrition and healthy living, and she's a firm believer in low-carb living and regular exercise. As a science geek, she bases her views on valid research and first-hand experience on the low-carb diet. Martina changed the way she ate in 2011 when she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. She had no energy and found it more and more difficult to maintain a healthy weight. After she witnessed the incredible benefits of low-carb eating firsthand, her and her partner created Keto Diet, a tracking and planning application with hundreds of low-carb recipes, which is now one of the best-selling apps on the App Store and Google Play. Then, in 2012, she launched the Keto Diet blog. Since 2016, she has authored five low-carb and keto books to help people follow a healthy diet and to show them that this way of eating doesn't have to be complicated or boring. Martina's belief is that the keto diet is not just about losing weight at any cost. It's about adopting a healthier lifestyle. In this episode, we talk about the thyroid and what foods can have an impact on certain hormones and a few books and resources that become really helpful if you're trying to diagnose any problems with your thyroid, as well as the story behind her journey from apps into food blogging and everything that comes with it. So please welcome Martina. Martina, how are you doing today? Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's just a bit cold here in the UK, but uh, I'm surviving. Yeah, I was. you were just saying before, you were, we were talking a little bit off the podcast and you were saying that there's a, a heat wave going through the UK at the moment. Um, that, that must be hard in the houses that are usually built to retain the heat. Yes, it is. It's just unbearable. It's really hard to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, here in Australia, we have all these houses with, um, they, uh, especially in Queensland, they call them Queenslanders. And they're basically houses built on stilts. So you get a little bit of air through the house and every window and everything is open so that uh, even the slightest amount of breeze will continue straight through the house. <laughs> I can imagine it's quite the opposite in the UK. That sounds amazing. I would give anything for that now. <laughs> so, so um, for anyone who doesn't know, you are you run the website Keto Diet app. Is that correct? And you also have the app that is the Keto Diet app. Yes, that's correct. Oh, sorry, it's actually me and my partner. So uh, it's uh, two of us. Ah, okay. All right. The, the duo. Um, so, so can you tell me a little bit of how um, you used to work in finance and how that sort of progressed into what you do now? 
Um, yeah, so uh, back in 2011, I was working in financial audit. Uh, that was actually back in uh, the Czech Republic, where we used to live before. And then we moved to England, and um, I, I found out I had Hashimoto's, uh, which is an autoimmune condition that affects the thyroid. And when that happens, the body cannot produce uh, enough hormones and it has to be, um, the doctors would basically put you on medication uh, to get the hormones that you're missing. And when I was diagnosed, um, I found out, I would say almost by accident, because I went for an unrelated test and they found out I had antibodies. And this is not usually how you find out because the tests these days, um, they don't really focus on uh, antibodies or anything. They would just look at uh, TSH and T4. And these are the, um, these are, these are the uh, tests that um, they would do if they want to see that your thyroid is okay, but they wouldn't actually see if you have any autoimmune attack. So um, when, when I found out about this, I already had a few symptoms, although they were not as bad as for some other people. And I started having uh, fatigue. Um, I uh, was sleeping sometimes um, 12, uh, 13 hours, and I was still tired. And this was actually after I was put on the medication that was supposed to help. So I couldn't figure out why it was that I was uh, getting all the medication that I needed and it didn't seem to work. So I started reading about um, nutritional approach and how I can maybe change my diet or change my lifestyle to help reduce the autoimmune attack. And that's how I learned about low-carb eating, the ketogenic diet, uh, whole foods-based ketogenic low-carb diet. And this is actually what has dramatically changed my life. And that was in every respect because I stopped working in financial audit. Um, I improved um, all the uh, hypothyroid symptoms by following this approach. And we developed an app uh, and we run the website right now. That's really interesting that you say that you went for an unrelated test and you came back and they said that you had antibodies. And so I actually had something very, very similar. So I went to get a fasting blood glucose test done, which basically is, uh, you know, you fast for 12 hours and you go in and they and they do a blood test and they, they come back and they tell you, uh, you know, what your fasting blood glucose levels are and how, you know, if you're on the way to diabetes or anything like that, anything blood glucose related. And so they actually came back and told me that I had ev elevated um, uh, antibodies in my thyroid as well. And for me at the time, I, I, I probably wasn't living a particularly healthy lifestyle because I was a musician. I was, uh, you know, with, didn't have much money. I was still uh, eating relatively healthy food but i think for me the problem was is that i would be drinking a lot on the weekends and i probably wasn't eating enough food and so you know when you're not eating enough food it puts your whole body into a whole bunch of different stress and your thyroid sort of gets challenged from there and i've and i've had regular checks since then uh, and and they say that the you know the thyroid is in a 
in a healthy level. Have you have you ever had um, have you ever gone back and had checks for those antibodies or um, for your thyroid health? Uh, that's when I was absolutely certain that what I'm doing is is right because uh, when I found out I had Hashimoto's, my antibodies were actually at about 900, and that's the TPO. Uh, and I tested my antibodies about two years after I started following a low carb diet, and they went down to 63, uh, which wow. was the normal level because the level uh, at which they are considered to be normal is zero to 35. So mm. I was almost at the perfect level and that convinced me that I'm doing the right thing because the medication didn't seem to be helping even with the symptoms and it wouldn't do anything for the antibodies because it's just synthetic uh, thyroid hormones. Uh, but the dietary approach combined with other lifestyle changes uh, that boost the thyroid uh, started making a big difference. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. And and so um, when you first learnt about uh, how you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's, did you first um, go into a strict ketogenic diet, or did you have a low carb approach first? And and how does how does that sort of change to what you do now? So I I tried a few different approaches. Uh, the first time I uh, went low carb, I actually followed uh, a paleo approach. So I would cut out all the gluten, soy, legumes. Um, I would reduce my carbs. I was still eating dairy, so I, it's it's more of a primal approach that I was following. But I uh, only uh, ate full fat dairy, and this has seemed this seemed to to help quite a lot uh, because I I didn't have. Um, that fatigue, brain fog anymore, but I still, I was struggling to lose weight because during um, the initial phase, I um, I gained about eight pounds um, and I couldn't really get rid of these extra pounds. And so I decided to reduce my carbs even more. And it was only after I reduced them to about 50 grams of total carbs, that's about 25 to 30 grams of net carbs, uh, that's when it started making a big difference. Um, and I also tried a very low-carb approach, uh, which is um, uh, the type of uh, ketogenic diet that Dr. Westman uh, recommends, and that's below 20 grams of total carbs. And I think, I think for... I'm not sure if this is something that doesn't work well for people with Hashimoto's, because that's the general uh, understanding but it di definitely didn't do anything good for me because I actually started having some of those symptoms back. So I felt like this, uh, this level of carbohydrates was too low for me. I stayed at that level for about six months just to make sure that I'm not doing something wrong and it's, it's something unrelated. And then I went back to uh, about 25 30 grams of net carbs and that's where I stay these days uh, on most days and what seems to be working best for me oh that's great and um uh, yeah it's it's particularly interesting for me because I've had to sort of manipulate my 
uh, net carbs or total carbs as well around uh, different sorts of things. But um, do you find that, and I, I think we're sort of, you know, digging a little bit deep in just the intro of this podcast, but it might be interesting for some people. Um, do you find that if you exercise, do you need to alter the amount of carbohydrates you have in your diet for that particular stint or day or week? Or is that something that you keep pretty pretty standard at the 30 or 20 grams of net carbs? You know, it really depends. Uh, I really try these days, I really try to listen to my body. And uh, I can do, I can have a day where I do high intensity training and I wouldn't have any carb up meal. Sometimes I wouldn't have any meal until the evening. So not only I wouldn't have a carb up meal, but I would even skip meals. And sometimes I would uh, train fasted. Sometimes I would have uh, a small breakfast or something. So I think I think it, it really depends on um, on uh, on the on the individual, and it depends on the type of exercise. Because I find that if I do high intensity exercise, I tend to crave carbs a little more. Then if I do resistance training where I don't even need to have any meal after that. So I think it depends on uh, many different things. And one of it is type of exercise. And the other one is uh, maybe uh, what you're used to generally uh, and how many carbs you're eating per day. Yeah, that's very true. I um, I recently ran a marathon um, and doing a ketogenic approach and I, I went and did a DEXA scan later on, which is basically like a body fat percentage. And I was at 24.4% body fat. And I'm usually around the like 15 to 17 mark. And I noticed I could feel just some extra weight going on and I wasn't sure what's going on. So so for me, I'm sort of in the, this manipulation phase again where I'm removing dairy completely from my diet um, and and seeing what that what effect that has on it. But yeah, it's 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 very strange when you go from because yeah. like, there's the the weight training and then there's the in, uh, high intensity training and then there's just just these long uh, what they call the uh, list training, which is like long steady state, and you're in an aerobic heart rate for four or five hours. And I guess it just puts an incredible amount of stress on your body. So I don't know whether that's even, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about all this, but um, I'm, I'm adjusting my carbs a little bit slightly and uh, and removing dairy from my diet. I'm going to go back and see how that goes. I honestly don't know how you did a marathon because I only did half marathon um, a few years ago and that was when I was a sugar burner. And I had this glucose gel with me the whole time. And I was just saving it for the last few kilometers because it was a nightmare. I don't know how it was for you. If you needed to have any boost of energy, did you use any glucose gels? Or? Um, no, I didn't use any gels at all throughout the 42 kilometers. But I did hit a wall at 25, which one would have been helpful. But it was just because I was going too fast. <laughs> yeah, I hit that wall at uh, the 18th uh, kilometer. I still remember, and yep. uh, yeah, it was it was. I cannot imagine doing another 20 something. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you train for it. I think it's you know just something. But you know, this interview is about you. So I, I'm I'm gonna you know take it back and 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 uh, sort of go back into the. Um, uh, I was I was reading the website and I saw that you created uh, the keto diet app and you created it first and then you created the, the the website now that people go to for recipes but can you sort of touch on 
what were the the reasons why you first created an app and then um, you know sort of released that to the public and then sort of created the website from there? Uh, so I, I mean, uh, for for most people, this doesn't make much sense because usually the way it goes is that people create website and then they create a product. Uh, in our case, uh, the Keto Diet app wasn't meant to be for public uh, at first. It was a personal project and. It was something we started doing with my partner when we were moving houses, actually moving countries. We were in between jobs and my partner is a software developer. So he was working on his, on his own games, apps. And I just, I just had this idea of to create a keto app, which was meant to be first like a collection of recipes and then maybe a basic tracker. And. We ended up working on it for about eight months. And then we realized that it's something that can actually help other people, especially after we realized how much a low carb approach or a ketogenic approach can help certain conditions or uh, generally weight loss, uh, healthy well-being. So we really wanted to give this to others uh, to be able to use it. And uh, I still remember it was uh, December um uh 2012 i think that we released the app and it was right when we were moving back to england and on the way to england we were actually discussing the possibility to create a website um and maybe have a blog and i would post a few recipes uh maybe something something else and my my partner he was just laughing at me and he said no one will ever go there i mean don't you <laughs> So um, he wasn't very supportive, uh, but I, I didn't really care. I thought, you know, I don't, I don't mind. I, I don't care how many people will go there. I just want to do it because I really enjoy, enjoy this. It's something I like. It's my hobby. And that's how I saw it. Because back then I was still thinking, maybe I'll go back to finance and this will be something, you know, um, I'll do just for fun. But uh, I ended up... Um, working on it full time and actually after a few after a couple of years my partner uh, also started working on uh, on the app and on the website and the whole project full time so it's uh, now the two of us and uh, we work together so uh, that's how it was and that's why that's why first the app and then the website oh uh, that's really awesome and I, I like I really like that approach because um I, I worked for a company that did a lot of software development as well and uh, you know it's usually that you have a big product and then you sort of you know create an app out of that and as you said before you usually create a website and then the app is sort of for those people who really like it but want the ease of an app on their phone so that's really interesting and I like that it's sort of user first uh, uh, in that respect because you know if you wanted to create something for yourself um, generally you have a really really good product when you uh, when you know how it works yourself and you've tested it and you've made sure everything works properly you know I'm a, uh, my partner says sometimes I'm, I'm a nightmare to work with uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a perfectionist and I just want things done really quickly and what I don't realize uh, completely but I know at the back of my mind is that software development takes a lot of time and when something looks very simple to a user it's a very complicated thing uh, to add or to work on and it can take weeks or months and 
I, I try to learn these days, but at the beginning, I was just very disappointed every time I heard uh, how much time it's going to take. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it always does take some time, but, you know, you'd rather have a, a good, simple product that looks great as opposed to a, a jumbled mess of complicated strings and wires. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's really awesome. And I, I remember um, before I started my website, I downloaded the app and I was looking at it and I thought, wow, you know, someone's someone's already done this. Someone's put in like years of hard work into this and I'm coming at it so late in the game. So this is, that's so fantastic. Um, and so what were some of the, did you have any, um, you know, there's uh, obviously there's been a lot of successes over the, you know, the app and the, and the website, but were there any particular like failures that you later turned into successes or anything that was particularly hard at the time that you turned into something that was very, very useful? Um, I think there were, uh, there are always challenges uh, with, uh, with the app uh, and with the website uh, because we, we see it as something that evolves all the time. And um, many times the challenging part is actually to understand uh, what people want because what I want may be completely different. And I'm, I'm a bit of a geek um, and I appreciate slightly different things than others. So what we really uh, learned to do was to listen to users and to their feedback and try to really uh, follow their feedback and based on that, uh, make a list of features we want to add. Uh, because if we were to just do what we thought was great, it wouldn't really end up well because um, it's not always the same as what the vast majority of people want. Um, I, I was just saying that's really interesting because, um, yeah, if, if, if you've created a product yourself and you've created something that you you use every day, um, it must be so hard to not put those things into an app uh, that would make it really useful for you, but, you know, maybe not for so many other people as well. Yeah, I actually, I was making fun uh, last time, maybe not fun, I actually meant it. And I said to my partner, can you please create an app just for me? Because I need certain features that users are not going to appreciate, but I would really appreciate them for uh, recipe development and uh, things that, you know, most people wouldn't really... Uh, wouldn't really want, uh, but I would really appreciate it. So we, we are actually thinking about doing a s special version for that, um, just to oh, that's great. <laughs> just to um, make uh, whatever I do easier. So I, I have a slightly different version, but it's it's almost the same. It's just um, it has to do with uh, exporting recipes that I create. Ah, interesting. Yeah, that's cool. And, and you know, so so you created the app and you created the website, and you know, you you had this journey to improve your health. Um, and so, you know, as you were saying before, as you went uh, very low carb, that was something that probably didn't work for you in your particular instance. And I think I've found something similar in that too. Um, and were there any uh, were there any big uh, milestones that you found that really really helped? Uh, you know, on your journey towards a better thyroid and reversing the Hashimoto's disease, and 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 in contrast, were there any failures along the way that you found that that really didn't help? 
So um, I one of the things I realized is that uh, in my case, it doesn't matter if I go over my carbs and it doesn't matter if I'm kicked out of ketosis. I can easily be on a low to moderate carb diet and I'm going to be fine. And it's just something that um, if I go too high on carbs, I may gain weight, but it wouldn't really make my thyroid other symptoms worse. But what makes my thyroid worse is gluten, soy, and legumes. And I have actually verified that by doing a test um, where I, um, I was eating without knowing uh, hidden gluten. And I did a thyroid check and my antibodies were at about 120. So there was a direct link. And the only thing I could think of that was basically my diet. And what happened is that we started going to this place, uh, a local restaurant. And I would always get this Caesar salad without croutons. So I wouldn't have any bread with it. But I would have never guessed that they put gluten in the dressing. And... I didn't want to be a pain and I didn't want to ask. Um, I would just order a salad. And after three months, uh, I realized, oh, there's gluten. I didn't know about it. So I, I think for people with any autoimmune disease, um, uh, gluten can be a real issue. And for me, definitely, it proved to be a problem. Oh, and, and have you found that dairy has been a problem for you as well? Or has that not been such of an issue? It, this is, this is a, an interesting one because um, I, I've, I've read a book. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I've read a really good book from uh, Isabella Wentz, The Root Cause of Hashimoto's Thyroiditis. And in that book, you would... Um, you would find really interesting information about uh, what actually causes or what are all the triggers and how you can improve your thyroid. And one of the advice was that you should avoid uh, dairy because that can make the symptoms worse. And But in my case, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, so I don't eat too much dairy. Naturally, I just um, wouldn't snack on cheese. I... I would just use butter. I would use um, ghee and um, a little bit of cheese in salads. Um, so and cream in my coffee. So I think maybe I don't eat as much as others, and maybe it doesn't cause issues for me. But I know for many people with Hashimoto's, uh, dairy is a big no-no. So it, it really depends, and I think everyone has to try and see. Uh, what dairy does to them and um and yeah okay so the book that you mentioned the root cause of Hashimoto's thyroiditis um I'll put that in the show notes uh for anyone who's interested in reading that book because that that could be really really interesting if you're trying to diagnose a, a an issue like this for yourself that maybe that book might help um but yeah that's that's interesting and so uh you know when you were saying soy and legumes as well were there any uh hidden foods that you thought that didn't contain didn't contain legumes, or were you pretty good with that? So um, I, I was generally I, I was aware of all these foods. Um, the only thing I, I didn't know uh, was that uh, soy sauce also contains gluten, uh, and I would have every now and then I would have uh, soy sauce with my um, with my um, sashimi, uh, and I would have just very little, and I thought that was going to be okay. So. 
I stopped that completely as well. And I'm using coconut aminos instead. I'm not even using tamari sauce. I think for most people who don't have uh, health issues, it's probably okay to use this. Uh, but if you if you do have uh, autoimmune conditions, it's best to avoid it completely. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. And uh, and and legumes as well. I guess legumes are pretty high carb. So for most people trying to follow a low carb diet, they generally avoid that anyway. Yeah, one thing people some people may not realize is that peanuts are actually uh, one of the keto foods that uh, if you have autoimmune conditions, you shouldn't be eating because they are legumes. Mm. Yeah, and they're, they're not nuts. <laughs> interesting. Oh, that's really interesting. This this is basically, you know, just trying to uh, apply this to myself, you know. So for anyone who's listening, <laughs> we're, we're diving very deep on these questions. It's because uh, I'm also interested for myself as well. So it's uh, it's it's really fascinating. To, and and so the the test that you go and do, um, I know you can get it done for free in Australia. Yeah. Um, but they, I, I don't remember what it was called because it was part of a a test that was done. Um, and I always just go to the doctor and I say, can I get my thyroid yeah. tested? But do you remember what the actual test was? I, I don't know what is the name, but uh, what is uh, important, and this really depends on the country, is that you get the right uh, things tested. So the most important th- thyroid tests are uh, TSH, free T3, free T4, uh, TPO antibodies, uh, and then you can get a few more, but I think these, these four are the most important. Um, and the problem is that generally in, um, in, um, in the UK or in the Czech Republic, I've seen it in both countries. The only thing they test is T4 and TSH. And if you do have an autoimmune attack, uh, and it's at the beginning, you're not going to see any decrease in your T4 because your thyroid is not damaged yet. And the damage can take even a decade before you actually see any uh, effects on the T4. So it's really good to check the antibodies and see if there is anything. If you suspect, if you have uh, any fatigue issues, brain fog, uh, weight gain that you cannot quite explain, uh, you're tired, you sleep many hours, but you're still tired even when you wake up after 12, 13 hours. I, I just remember I felt like I had a bad hangover almost every single day. So if you feel like that, it's really good to test your thyroid. Yeah, definitely. And um, and uh, I know what's worked for me a lot is uh, I started taking L-tyrosine, which is actually a, uh, a, yeah. a, a nootropic, basically. <laughs> but what it does is it helps um, convert the T4 into T3 or the, the inactive uh, thyroid hormone into the active um, and so that that one helped for me as well, but and that's you can get that anywhere. Um, but it depends. Um, you can. I don't, for example, I don't have any problem with the conversion from T three to the T uh, from T four to T three. Uh, but if you do, also what helps is uh, selenium, uh, brazil nuts, mm. uh, and zinc. Um, these definitely uh, help with the conversion too. Mm, yeah, and so yeah, as you said before, there's. Uh, heaps of selenium in brazil nuts and i think your recommended selenium is in like four brazil nuts and then in zinc you can get yeah. from plenty of red <laughs> yeah true <laughs> <laughs> maybe they have monster brazil nuts here in australia 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's so interesting. Um, so I, I, I guess the, the thyroid uh, issues aside, um, your food photography is absolutely amazing. And I, I remember, you know, seeing you on Instagram a lot and I would see your stories and you've got your camera set up in front of uh, what food food you were taking. And, uh, and uh, every time I was like, damn, you know, I, I need to get better at food photography because Martin is just, you know, killing me here. <laughs> this is, well, so I, I wanted to ask you, um, and, and I think this sort of applies to your, your approach to, to food as well, is that your food photography and your, your, the, the styling that you use really encaptures a feeling of wholesome and, um, and like real food. It's not something that looks fake or anything like crazy outlandish it's just it it encapsulates wholesome um so do you do you have any resources that you that you um found particularly helpful along the way or if anyone's looking to transition from an iphone to a dslr or something so just the funny thing when i started for about two years i was just using a digital camera for um yeah it was about two years until I got my first uh, DSLR, which uh, was and still is uh, Canon 6D. And um, I, I now have a favorite lens. I started with a zoom lens, uh, but now I, I really love my uh, 50 millimeter 1.2. Mm. So that's my favorite one now. Um, and when it comes to resources, uh, what I really found uh, useful was... Uh, Food Blogger, Blogger Pro. Uh, it's it's a program, uh, and you you can uh, you can see tutorials when it comes to food photography, blogging, anything that has to do with uh, uh, with uh, food blogging. Actually, so if you want to start your own food blog, this this is this is such a great resource. Um, and another one is Creative Live. Uh, another one is uh, lynda.com tutorials. So I, I use a few resources and um, I just try to learn new things uh, as much as I can. Um, but there is there's always uh, something new to learn. And uh, yeah, what's, what's your favorite resource? Oh, well, I was actually going to say Food Blogger Pro. So, so Food Blogger Pro is run by um, uh, Bjork and Lindsay, who, and so Lindsay runs Pinch of Yum, and her yeah. her food photography is fantastic. And I think she also uses a six D, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and and so Bjork started uh, Food Blogger Pro on the on the backside of that, and now they sort of teach everything how they how they create a Pinch of Yum, and they teach. How, you know how to do everything food blogging related so yeah food blogger pro is a fantastic resource and i'm part of that community as well um creative live linda.com i found that uh creative live was particularly good because um there's a lot of sites that you can get courses for really cheap mm-hmm. and when you get something for uh for very cheap and uh, it doesn't hold a lot of um importance in your in your brain space and so for something like Creative Live, they do discounts every so often. But I, I remember I bought, um, I think it's Andrew Scafani's um, course on food photography. And his famous photo is like a, a photo of a soup, like pumpkin soup. And it's got a, a strawberry and a mint leaf oh, in it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and his think, course was fantastic. I think I bought that one too. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so his uh, his course was was particularly fantastic and and um uh, here in australia you can get a free 
uh, you can log on for free to lynda.com through the state library. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. So, so if you live in Australia and you're listening to this podcast, um, in and you live in Queensland, <laughs> you can get access to the uh, the state library here in Queensland, and they give you a free Lynda.com subscription. And I I don't know if it's everything that's involved in Lynda.com, but they definitely have a lot of resources on there for food photography. So if anyone out there is listening to um, this and they want to start taking some food photos, then that's great. Another uh, YouTuber I've particularly been liking recently is um, The Bite Shot. Now, I can't remember her name, um, but her her website is called The Bite Shot. Oh, sorry, her YouTube is called The Bite Shot, and she's done some fantastic videos. Oh, I'm blanking on her name. Anyway, um, but she, she is great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, and, and I think how, how long do you think it took you to – uh, get food photos that you were really happy with? And was it something that you could just buy new gear or did you just, it was a practice? You know, do you want to know the truth? Uh, <laughs> I'm never a hundred percent happy. So oh. <laughs> that's my nature. I always feel like uh, it can be better. Sometimes I take a really good photo and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. But other days I would just feel like I don't have any, ideas and I feel like oh I'm boring I'm using the same props and um it's just it it really I I know everything that I need to do but I don't always have the inspiration that I need and when I don't have the inspiration what I do is that I keep it extremely simple so I would focus just on the food and use a minimalist approach without too many props and that seems to be working every time and um, it, it's a it's a great thing to do if you uh, if you run out of ideas. Mm, mm, yeah, I totally agree. But also, like as you were saying before, with the app, if something's very minimal and and something uh, looks very easy to the eye, it's often quite complicated behind the scenes. Is that something that also happens with food photography? Yeah, there there are certain recipes that are just a nightmare uh, to fo- photograph. And one of them I actually uh, made today, and I made this baked brie in some, in a kind of a simplified fathead dough. And I realized uh, the first batch just didn't go well because the brie would leak out. So I realized, oh, the dough is too thin. So then I made another one. And when I cut through, the cheese would just ooze out so quickly that I had maybe five seconds to take the photos. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's it's sometimes it's just uh, depends on the depends on the food, and I like using uh, a few little hacks. Like I have an olive oil spray to make uh, uh, the food look nice. So uh, even if I don't use olive oil in a recipe i would just spray it a little bit because it just adds that nice little shine and makes uh, everything look more appetizing um but sometimes you look at a photo and you feel oh this is simple but it it really isn't yeah so uh, yeah I t- actually i use the olive oil trick as well <laughs> it's really really helpful because <laughs> by the time like yeah. it's it, you, you cook something um and then by the time you actually get everything set up in the what you're doing for the food photography it can sometimes just turn a little bit flat and so using a little bit of olive yeah. oil it's still keto friendly and you can still eat it later um, I, I think really helps, but you know, so you're, you're the author of five keto related cookbooks. Um, and so 
not only is is one cookbook a lot of work, but you've done five of them. Um, what, what, which one of those cookbooks was the most important one for you to make? Um, I I feel like every one of them was really important, um, but I, I think probably the the most difficult one uh, was the first one uh, because I was really new to it and. I had no clue how long it takes uh, to test the recipes, to take a photo of uh, everything. And also to, sometimes you realize things don't quite work. And that happened to me uh, with the slow cooker cookbook. Uh, Because when I was working on the desserts section and I was uh, making them in a slow cooker, first of all, it was winter. (laughs) And I what it means is that I only had light until about three o'clock in the afternoon uh, here in the UK. So I had to work. Um, I had to make things in advance uh, overnight, and then I would take a photo in the morning. And when it comes to sweet, uh, sweet recipes, uh, they require some special attention because uh, there is excess moisture. Uh, there is a risk of burning. Um, there are many other things that. If you just take a regular cake and you make it in a slow cooker, it wouldn't work because you have to adjust the liquids, for example. Mm. So this one, this one was a bit of a pain <laughs> uh, when it <laughs> adjusting the the ingredients. Uh, it, it was really easy with stews uh, and anything meaty or uh, vegetables, but it was really difficult with the um, with the desserts. So it. Oh yes. I think it was the two. The two of them were probably the most difficult. The first one because I didn't know uh, uh, how much time I will actually need, uh, and I didn't have uh, as much as I wanted. And the slow cooker one because I had to make um, many of them again and again because they wouldn't work. Mm. Um, so, uh, it, 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 but overall, I, I loved it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was was making a slow cooker cookbook did you uh you know did you have to have multiple slow cookers doing certain oh, things yes. <laughs> i i actually bought three slow cookers <laughs> and after, after the cookbook was done uh i i uh, took two of them to a local uh, charity place uh so uh i had three three slow cookers in the house and each one of them was different um, and each one of them was cooking differently uh, which is which can be quite upsetting because then you realize that uh, it may not work for all the recipes right so um, it's I, I generally recommend one type of a slow cooker and then an instant pot um, which uh, with which I always had uh, best results. But it's always good if you had any if you have any slow cooker. It's it's really good to first test and see uh, what the temperatures are because some of the temperatures may be slightly higher for some slow cookers. Mm. Yeah, because they really only have like low or high, don't they? And some of them also have medium, and I realized that the medium was actually low for the other slow cooker. So. Oh, no. <laughs> That sounds frustrating. And and so uh, for something like an Instant Pot, um, you can actually set the temperature on there, can't you? Yeah, that's, um, 
that's amazing. You can you can um, you can actually do pressure cooking in an instant pot. Right. And when it comes to slow cooking, I'm I don't know about temperature either. I didn't haven't discovered it yet, or but I know you can uh, you can set it for um, chicken or uh, for for other types of meat uh, that would usually take longer. Right, right. Okay. So. Yeah, interesting. I I've yet to get a, a to get an instant pot, but it's something I've got on my on my list. <laughs> They're not not quite as available here in Australia. Um, and, and so uh, I, I do remember actually going through the local supermarket here. Uh, they they call it Kmart in Australia, and I see. Um, all of your recipe books lined up on the shelf and I go, wow, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, all the, all the Kmart recipe books, which are like, you know, uh, $5, $5, $5 and whatever. And then there's all of your recipe books and it's so fantastic. And then there's like Luke Hines and, uh, you know, other fa- famous Australian uh, recipe bloggers. But yeah, I was just, I was so amazed to see yours and, um, and, and your partners too, which is great. <laughs> So if anyone's in Australia, you can get them at Kmart. It's great. <laughs> um, uh, and so, uh, you know, to, to end these these type of podcasts, I really like doing some quick questions. And sometimes they're not quick questions, but that's totally fine. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it with a preface that they are quick questions and then we can dig into the ones if we uh, that are interesting if necessary. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite uh, low-carb or ketogenic food? Is it just one? <laughs> well, it can be a group if you like, uh, you know, groups of foods. If, if that's what you yeah. I think if I look at what I eat on most days, I I think almost every single day I have avocados um, because they are just they are just the perfect food, the perfect keto food because uh, they are low in net carbs, uh, they are high in monounsaturated, hard, healthy fats. Mm. Uh, they're high in potassium. They're a good source of magnesium. Perfect for keto flu. If anyone starts following a keto diet, that's one thing I learned the hard way is that I was not really paying attention to my electrolyte levels. And so I woke up in the middle of the night with uh, this weird feeling on my chest. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. It must be all the bad fats I'm eating. <laughs> So um, I learned that I was actually deficient in um, in electrolytes, and um, the next day I, I went and um, got some uh, magnesium supplements, and I started eating um, uh, avocados. And actually, it was just gone from one day to another. I didn't know about keto flu anymore. So um, it's it's really important, and avocados are just the perfect mm. food. Mm. Yeah, avocado, and they're so versatile as well because you can make mousse out of them, or you can make dips out of them, and you can have them with eggs or the the any time of the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Absolutely. what what's your favorite type of exercise? Um, I uh, I love exercise, and uh, I actually love high intensity uh, trainings uh, that I do about. Once a week, I don't do them too often, uh, but uh, we actually go with my partner every week, every Friday, and we do this session for about 45 minutes. Uh, it's a little bit too much sometimes, and I know generally the advice is stay with the 20, 30 minutes because, you know, it can be a lot. Uh, but I like to push myself, and I feel like this is still within... Um, 
you know, within the healthy limits and I just do it once a week. Uh, so uh, it would be high intensity exercise. And then uh, I, most of the other time I would do resistance training. Um, and I really enjoy doing heavy weights because before I went low carb and uh, actually uh, learned what is the healthy way to exercise, I used to do loads and loads and loads of cardio, mm. uh, which is not ideal uh, for many reasons. It doesn't help weight loss. It actually makes people more hungry and it makes you more tired and it makes you eat more. So I really enjoy doing something that I thought was bad for me because I was afraid of all the muscles I was going to grow and it just doesn't work that way. And it's, um, it's amazing to, to feel strong. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you on that because um, I, uh, I was saying, I think earlier on in the podcast that I just recently finished marath a marathon and I was training for the marathon in doing that and I got a DEXA scan and uh, came back with 24.4% body fat, which is not ideal. <laughs> so I would I would have to agree with you on that one. So it, completely ignoring resistance training and high-intensity exercise can come with some consequences. Now, if, if uh, um, you know, if you do enjoy going out and getting a, a long run or ride in or whatever it is for for mental health reasons and that's and uh and going out for those long runs or long rides um it it generally puts a lot of stress and repetitive stress on certain joints um and whereas you know resistance training or high intensity training uh can can be very beneficial for you know body retransformations um do you ever find that when you do a lot of uh high intensity exercise maybe you were saying you do them once a week but if, if someone's doing high intensity exercise maybe three times a week that their carb cravings might be elevated slightly because of that i think it is possible because this is the type of exercise that um you may need you may need extra carbs although it's not the same for everyone and i personally even i would do carb ups uh, but when I say carb ups, I actually mean root vegetables, uh, pumpkin, um, actually uh, foods that are relatively low in carbs. But instead of having, let's say, 8 to 10 grams of net carbs per meal, I would have 15. And that's, that's my carb up. So um, sometimes I would have sweet potatoes, but really maybe just like half a sweet potato and... Um, that, that would be every now and then. I don't do it that often. Um, but I think, I think uh, depending on the exercise, if you do high-intensity training, uh, it's okay to do small carb ups. And uh, if your body craves carbs, stay with the clean ones. That's the only thing I would, uh, I would recommend. I wouldn't go for Mars bars. <laughs> No, yeah, or sugary in, uh, gels or things like that. They're, they're typically, you know, for high-carb high, high carb athletes. Um, so in, in contrast to all of this, what is your least favorite low-carb or keto food? Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's uh, probably watercress. <laughs> I just, mm. uh, I think generally I... I uh, I don't eat that uh, many leafy greens apart from kale and spinach uh, and maybe some lettuce. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of the bitter, dark greens. 
and I only put them in salads, uh, more like herbs rather than the main ingredient. Uh, I actually try to force myself to eat them because I know they are good for me, but uh, I never, never liked uh, watercress. <laughs> well, they say um, uh, bitter foods often contain lots of. I think it. I think it usually comes from the Chinese, um, and they say you know anything that is bitter usually contains a lot of um, things that are good for yeah. the liver. A lot of anti uh, detoxing style type foods. Um, and I guess uh, what is your least favorite exercise? You may have alluded uh, to it before, but do you have a particular exercise that you're not a big fan of? I I just. You know, I, I, I wouldn't even say it's cardio because I still think cardio is good for you if you if you do it um, if you do it within the limits and because it's good for your heart, it's good for the brain. Um, is there any exercise I hate? Oh, ironing! I hate ironing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche! <laughs> yeah, I don't like it too. I just don't do it. Um, okay, so so uh, what is a what is a book that has recently inspired you, or that you've read, or maybe not recently inspired you, but maybe it's something that you always go back to? Um, I, I've read a few over the last few months. I, I've read the uh, Alzheimer's uh, Antidote uh, by Amy Berger. Um, the good one that I already recommended is the root cause of Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis by Isabella Wentz. And she also has Hashimoto's protocol book. It is uh, quite new. Um, actually, recently I went to a conference here in London. Uh, it's, it was called, uh, it was organized by the Public Health Collaboration. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, it's it's basically a charity, and uh, they work with GPs in the UK. And what they are trying to do is to educate um, uh, people and uh, professionals about the true healthy diet, not the healthy diet that is now recommended uh, via the dietary guidelines uh, that have caused so much diabetes and uh, all the health problems. So it was organized by the Public Health Collaboration and uh, there were some amazing speakers like uh, Tim Noakes, uh, uh, Zoe Harcom, um, Dr. Uh, Anwin um, and many others. And I actually got a new uh, book from Tim, Tim Noakes uh, called uh, Diabetes Unpacked. So I haven't read that one yet, uh, but I'm, I'm planning to do it. Yeah, that sounds so, awesome. I'm writing all of these down because I really like uh, uh, reading books. <laughs> um, unpacked. Me too. Diabetes unpacked. Okay, so there was the Alzheimer's antidote, Hashimoto's protocol, the root cause of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and um, the public health. Uh, you went to the public health organization's event where you went to Tim Noakes and he had the diabetes unpacked. Um, yeah, he had. Yeah other books but they went so fast i didn't have the time to uh to grab one uh so uh he has written his uh he uh th this one i think is from the noakes foundation so it has many many authors uh inside which is amazing each one of them is an expert and they always took uh a chapter to to write about uh certain topics so it's uh 
I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and he is also the author, or I think the foundation or whatever it is, um, of the Real Meal yeah. Revolution. Is that correct? Uh, Real Meal, yes, Real Meal I think so. I think it's, yeah, that's, and um, he, he was, he was uh, the author of um, the, uh, you know, a book that was basically all about the high carb um, exercise revolution. Um, and so it's, it's really, really interesting for someone like Tim Noakes to be able to listen to the the research that comes out and and actually change their their opinion on and and you know start doing these types of things because um he i, I remember uh, for anyone who has seen this there's a, do, a documentary called serial killers and they went to south africa and, and uh, spoke to spoke to him about the um the, the high carb and the low carb athletes um and uh you know he was saying that a lot of the stuff in his old book was just what he knew at the time and what everyone knew at the time and and at the at now it's like a, a little bit wrong and so it's great that he's doing all of these things now to to look at the current research so that's that's fantastic um so i i, I used to be a musician for a long time um and uh and so i really like uh hearing people's music uh taste or you know what what they've been listening to recently so do you have do you have any artists or songs that you've been listening to recently or ones that you go back to all the time i like to listen to different uh types of music i don't i i have uh, a few playlists uh on uh, on my iplayer so the one actually i like a lot is sia <laughs> oh really yeah. who is australia isn't she i believe so um, I, maybe I'm getting confused with her and, and Bjork, who's from Iceland. But yeah, or yeah, she is definitely from Australia. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but I also like classic rock, uh, or um, sometimes I would just listen to chill out. Uh, I, I don't really have like one. I don't really listen to just one uh, band or one group. I, I would uh, have a playlist. Uh, and just many different things there. Oh, that's cool. I, I like that, yeah, because playlists, you often get, um, you, you come across a lot of different artists and it's more you can sort of target a particular mood that you want to try and invoke as well. Yeah, yeah, it really depends on the mood. I mean, sometimes I would just feel like listening to rock yeah. and sometimes it's too much for me and I would just go for some easy chill out. <laughs> I like that. Oh. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Um, and so I like, uh, you know, um, ending these podcasts on a, 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 a piece of like really helpful um, advice. And so uh, I, th I think one that would be very, uh, I think you're very educated on is that um, what, what would be the biggest piece of advice you would go back and tell yourself when you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2011? Um, I would. I would definitely tell myself, uh, change your diet. Don't exercise too much because I used to exercise a lot more uh, than I do now. And yet I was struggling with weight. So I was doing many things that were wrong. I was fasting, which I shouldn't have done either because of uh, my thyroid issue. Um, so I would do all the things that you're not supposed to do on uh, Hashimoto's. And uh, I would just say focus on the diet and focus on uh, other triggers that may be making um, your uh, health issue worse because just taking medication is not always the answer. Although it's something that is essential and 
I don't personally, I wouldn't advise anyone to just go keto or low carb and forget about medication, uh, but use other uh, approaches and look at uh, your diet and your lifestyle, definitely, because these uh, play a massive role in uh, how you feel and uh, in how your condition is going to evolve yeah that's that that is such great advice you know the the integrated nutrition approach is um is definitely the way to go um and so so where can people find you where can people find you on uh, social media or can people download the app and do you, where can people find your cookbooks and what's your website so uh the website is called uh ketodietup.com and most of the recipes that you see most of the articles are uh, at slash blog. So uh, that's where you would find most of the resources. Um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm on, or we are on Instagram, um, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter. Um, we have, uh, if anyone wants to start following uh, a keto diet and they're not quite sure what to do, what to eat, uh, we have three free meal plans, and one of them is dairy-free, uh, and one of them is also vegetarian. So no matter what your diet is now, even if you don't eat meat, um, I have uh, created a vegetarian keto diet plan, so anyone can really, really start. Um Oh yeah, and 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 uh, oh, that's that's so awesome. And 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 you can go into the App Store, and if oh, yeah. you search Keto Diet App, the app will come straight up. So whether you're on the Google Play or the Apple Store, or if you've got a, um, you know, any type of phone, go ahead, punch that in, and you'll get the app straight. Up. Uh, the only thing I would say is that uh, our app is the one that has uh, the funny fish and egg icon. Uh, because what happens is that there are many keto diet or keto apps on the App Store and Google Play, uh, and ours is the one that has the egg and fish. That's probably the best way to describe it. So it, you can remember this by uh, saying egg and fish 10 times in your brain. So egg, fish, egg, fish. <laughs> <laughs> you type in keto diet app, egg, fish. <laughs> well, or if you go a website uh, which basically links to the App Store and Google Play, then you will directly uh, go to our app. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you've got the links on there. So so thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's really been an honor to interview you because I know that um, when I started my journey with the ketogenic diet and with uh, specifically with the Hashimoto's type stuff, um, your website was a very, very uh, good resource for me. So, so thank you from me from a personal level and i'm sure everyone who's listened to this podcast uh is very grateful as well so um i i hope you have a really great day i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and i'm sure i'll speak to you soon thank you so much thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. 
Until next week.